The first, I would say, was really my conversion experience, which happened when I was about 20, and I was walking down a quiet road in Urbana, Ohio. The sun was setting. It was sort of a beautiful evening, and that was the moment where just seeing the beauty around me on this sort of simple landscape and simple sidewalk, everything kind of pieced together where I sort of felt the love of God, and I felt the the presence of that love and the trust that I could have because Mm. of that. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking in good faith with Reverend Sage Cole. She's the pastor and director of Swedenborg Chapel, and we are here in the space in the Swedenborg Chapel. Thank you, Reverend Cole. You're so welcome. I'm so glad. I'm really honored to be uh, to be speaking to you today. I have so many questions, okay. as many people do, about mm-hmm. what Swedenborgian mm-hmm. is the right, right pronunciation. Yes. What that means as a Christian denomination. But I first want to ask about something that you are doing right here on the property, which is the Helen Keller Center. Yes. How does this tie in with your mission here? Sure. Well, Helen Keller, who most everybody knows around the globe, really, was in fact a Swedenborgian. She found the tradition oh. when she was about 13 years old and followed the faith her whole life. She wrote a, a book about her her belief called My Religion. So she's one of our most kind of famous Swedenborgian saints. We have been looking uh, at our space here. We're right in Harvard Square, right in the heart of things. And how can we best fulfill our mission of sharing the good news of the Swedenborgian tradition with the world? And Helen is Actually, the, the, the vision came in 2018 in October, and I was sitting in the library, and I looked up and saw her face on the cover of her book, and everything kind of came together, because mm. I really wanted to um, to use this location where there's so many people from around the world to do more outreach. When I looked up at her face, I thought, this is this is the perfect person to be lifting up in the world today as a woman, as a, as a woman with a disability, and a woman who was really on the forefront of thinking for her time. She's fascinating to me because of this incredible mind that was really almost in a cage until she found a way to communicate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think this is where she brings a lot to our spiritual life because she mentioned, she writes in her book how it was Annie Sullivan who really brought her to life. March 3rd was the day that they met, and she always celebrated that as her spiritual birthday. But then in her book about her Swedenborgian faith, she shared that she really felt Swedenborg's writings that when she discovered those writings and his the way he brings the Bible to life, that this was sort of a second awakening for her and a second time of um, being able to understand herself and to, to see herself in the world. So, yeah, we're anyway, we're, we're really excited. Um, you know, this pandemic has really um, come at an interesting time. We were I was just about to go on a, a tour, a speaking tour to share more about the center and our, the ideas when all everything shifted in March. And so um, it's great to speak to you because for the last six months, I've been caring for my six year old and my three year old and juggling online church. And, you know, everything's kind of been put on pause. But at the same time, a lot of what's happening in the world right now, the movement for racial justice, a lot of the conversations that are happening are things that Helen Keller would have been supportive of and excited about. So I'm I'm excited that God is still working with this project, even as we have to sort of shift the, the work that we're doing day to day. 
For a moment, I'd like to speak more personally sure. about how you came to these the teachings of Swedenborg. Yeah. And I read in an interview mm-hmm. that you had a pretty difficult time of spiritual searching about age 18 for several years. Could you talk to me maybe about your religious background, but mm-hmm. then what you found in that time? Sure, I'd be happy to. Doesn't everybody have a crisis at 18, though? That's always what I assume, but I, I maybe have done it a little bit more dramatically. But yeah, I grew up without any real religious teaching. My parents were children of the 70s. I was born on a commune, actually, up in Maine. And um, so there was always a strong sense of goodness and love, but never any conversations about God. Mm. But my, my parents were seekers. And so when I was about 12, my mother started looking for a church. And she found a Swedenborgian church in Portland, Maine, which I attended from time to time, but never really converted to the faith, was just kind of a questioning, curious mm. teenager, until about eight. 18, graduating from high school, leaving kind of the comfort and security of home and clear expectations, and then entering this crazy world of what what do I want to do with my life? And I found that question really oppressive. Um, I think it's like the, the tyranny of options. There were so many choices available to me, and I, I really struggled with this wanting to be me, wanting wanting to be faithful to who I was called to be and really having no idea how to do that, feeling like at any moment I could make the wrong choice. Did you have some sense that there was a God or might be or that you had a connection or not? Well, it's interesting. I, I Sometimes I think about that um, that pull in me to be me. That I think, I don't know that I would have used the word God, but I believed that I was created for a purpose, that there was some kind of true me that I was called to be in the world. And yet I didn't have any faith in that God was there with me in it until about the age of 20, 1920. And it kind of came in as a rush of, of, and it was tied to some of what I learned about Swedenborg in, in my teenage years. I was in college studying philosophy, psychology. I was studying a lot of different religions. And um, it all really coalesced in finally coming to a, a belief that there was a God. And not only was there a God, but there was a God that was kind of holding me and and leading me to become me. <laughs> that, was, that was giving me the opportunities I needed to to live into my own identity and this was huge for me because I, I kept feeling like well what if that's the choice or you know that it was always somewhere else and I could be missing at any moment and when I finally believed in God and and probably the theology of that would be God's providence that there was a, mm. a, a stream of movement that I was a part of I, I finally was able to relax and say oh okay I can just look around me and and say yes to what I feel called to say yes to and no, and I don't have to go somewhere special to, to figure out who I am. Mm. Um, and this, that was really big. I, I, sometimes I describe that and I, I don't know if people kind of get the fullness of that, but for me, it was huge. It was a really powerful- um, It sounds like it was peaceful. Peaceful, which, you know, at 18 with all of the questions, it was, it was peaceful, it was, um, yeah, it just I think the tyranny of having to go through life feeling like it is all up to us to figure out the right thing or, you know, is incredibly stressful. <laughs> I, I feel for all, it's one of the reasons I feel very moved to be here in Cambridge with all these students around because the stress of trying to 
to sort out your life without a, any kind of faith that there is a that you are loved, that you were created for a purpose, that you're, you know, that you're you can bloom where you're planted, you know. And that your test scores are not the ultimate determination of exactly, worth. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Or the college you graduate from or anything. That yeah. there's that there's a being that is a part of the journey and that, that we're vitally important even as we are tiny little pieces of the universe and yet we are vitally loved. So that's really how I came to my faith, and it was tied to my Swedenborgianism in that some of what I learned as a teen really lifted that up. And I was at a college that was tied to the Swedenborgian church, Urbana University in Ohio, and um, so they had a Swedenborgian collection. And once I had that aha moment, I really wanted to dive in and just learn more about, about faith and about what Swedenborg said. And I want to come back to your personal experience, but sure. let's take a little sidebar here. Sure. For folks who are right now going to Wikipedia yes. saying Swedenborg, <laughs> Emanuel Swedenborg, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. born in 1688, yes, yep. and really a Renaissance person. He did so many different things from an engineer, anatomy, all, all of the stuff I've read about. But in his 50s, April 6th, and I don't remember what year, he starts having, what does he call them? Dreams? Visions? Um communion with the spiritual world he mm. might have said but yeah in his 50s he gives up on searching in the external world searching for the soul through anatomy or and he just goes into these deep meditative experiences where he communes with the spiritual world and he has a vision of the lord and jesus tells him that he's called to to do this to to report back what he sees and also to look at the bible and to bring out its internal meaning um, that was really what his central call was and so for for decades he spends peri every periods of every day kind of communing with the spiritual world and then yeah this was not a one-time it event. was not a one-time event and with his scientific background he comes back and meticulously records his experiences, um, which makes him a little different than a lot of mystics, because often they say it's an ineffable experience. But for for Swedenborg, he was very uh, studious and fastidious, and and so he wrote these. There's 30 volumes of his experiences um, describing the spiritual world, and then also describing the internal meaning of the Bible, which was revealed to his him. Is heaven and hell a good starting place? It is. It really depends on what you're interested in. So heaven and hell is like the most concrete, I went to heaven, I saw hell, this is what it looked like. So for people really wanting that kind of mm. concrete and personal experience, heaven and hell is a great book to start. But he also writes more about kind of general, co the cosmology of the universe and in his work, Divine Love and Wisdom, he is that's actually one of the first books I read, and it's it's really beautiful and really looks more at how the universe operates, how God operates. God is love, God is wisdom, and how these two forces kind of interact. So if you're more philosophically minded, you might want to start with divine love and wisdom. So as taught here mm -hmm. in the church, what is the idea or the essence of what is God or who is God? Mm. As I mentioned, love and wisdom are really the central uh, forces of God. So Swedenborg describes that God is, the substance of God is love, and then the form God takes is wisdom. So all of us are kind of a combination of those two forces and energy. And you even can bring in a Trinitarian perspective by saying that God is love and wisdom, and then in the third peg is usefulness. So mm -hmm. when love and wisdom come together, useful action um, in the world 
is brought about. So um, God is love. So an inner life mm-hmm. that manifests itself in in good works, in love. In good works, in love, you know, the perspective of usefulness. It's interesting. So historically, when Swedenborg was alive, this is when the debate, the theological debate between uh, faith alone and wor- faith through good works was really high. This is the his father was a Lutheran bishop, so the Lutherans were very much on the perspective of faith alone, we're saved by our faith, whereas the Catholic tradition had had the idea of works, and so he was really concerned about this tension, and he comes out kind of in the middle, that it is about works, but it's very much about our intentions behind those works. It's not about completing a certain amount of tasks while we're here on the earth, but it's about being recipients of God's love, living that love wisely in the world, and doing our very best. And it's much more about how our souls are transformed through that work than any kind of production that we can show for yeah. ourselves, that we are very holy people. And he was, Swedenborg was very um, critical of hypocrisy. And much of what he writes about is, is Christians floundering in the spiritual world with, with kind of false ideas about God that were getting in the way of just being loving people, you know, and, um, and uh, having that love come from a, a place of innocence versus from a place of um, any selfishness or um, mm. ego. For you personally, were there turning points where you thought, because of this either apparent answer to prayer or because of this feeling or connection that, that you thought, there really is a God and I'm connected, I have enough certainty to act in faith on mm-hmm. that? Definitely. I, I think I can name about two or three kind of sort of mountaintop moments, peak mm, experiences. Mm. And the first I would say was really my conversion experience, which happened when I was about 20 and I was walking down a quiet road in Urbana, Ohio. The sun was setting. It was sort of a beautiful evening. And that was the moment where just just seeing the beauty around me on this sort of simple landscape and simple sidewalk was everything kind of pieced together where I re- where I sort of felt the love of God. And I felt the the presence of that love and the trust that I could have because mm. of that. That was probably what led me on the path. And then, um, and then I had another very powerful experience before I decided to go to seminary, which again was really about trust. For me, it's always been every, every I don't know, face-to-face moment with God is, I always come away with it with a deeper trust. And, mm. um, you know, I didn't know about seminary. I didn't grow up with ministers and churches. I grew up you know, without any of those external manifestations of church. And so when I started feeling called to go to seminary, I thought, what, how, I had no idea what that would be. Um, I didn't know how to become a minister. I didn't even, because I hadn't ever had one. Um, so it was a very strange time to be called into something that I, I didn't know what it would end in or what. What was that sense of a call? You know, it was it was very much tied to wanting to go deeper into this awareness that I was having. It was very much wanting to share the moment that I experienced of trust with others who were struggling. Um, that was very central. I was working with some teenagers at the time doing youth group, and I found myself really enjoying that and kind of being able and capable of leading leading people, which gave me sort of the foundation of maybe this could be a job that I could do in the world. Mm. So it was coupled with my my curiosity and interest and then my 
experiences, and then it really formed in a, some deep moments of prayer of just, okay, this will be the next thing, Sage. It's okay. You know, not you don't have to go over there and find it. But this is it was very much um, an offering. Felt like an opportunity that I could just say yes to. And you had enough experience with whatever that was to trust that feeling. To trust the feeling. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I'd say my other experiences have been very much one very powerful one came in a dream that I almost, you know, I I wonder when I trying to think about what Swedenborg must have experienced to experience a spiritual world. And I had a very powerful dream where I was lucid in the dream and I was awake. So I thought, I'm going to find God. I'm, I'm awake in this dream. This is an opportunity. And I was walking towards these mountains where God was like laying on the side of the mountain, glowing. It wasn't really a full figure, but it was it was this amazing experience of love and openness. And I was on a vineyard, which now I've come to understand a little more. <laughs> there was a gentleman next to me who, at the time, I was working with him, and he was homeless and um, an addict and very sweetheart, but really struggling. And he was well-dressed and, and healthy, and he was walking with me. And and as I walked closer to the to the figure of God, I started to kind of rise away from the earth. But I was holding God. I was like... I was holding on and I was never afraid. I was always cared for. And when I woke up from that dream, everything was really different in my in me. It was amazing. I was in a challenging situation at the time, a challenging relationship. And all of a sudden I again kind of had that renewed feeling of trust. You know what? One foot in front of the other. You can do this. Mm. It's going to be okay. I'm here. And I should say before I entered that dream, the dream started with me driving in a car holding two cups of coffee and unable to control the vehicle. <laughs> and then I, I hit the car in front of me kind of quietly and then was transported into this place. Uh-huh. So it was just a perfect... So you never knew if you spilled. I never knew if I spilled. And, <laughs> and it was just a, a depiction of how out of control we are, how, how much we're trying to be in control and how hard it is to actually control ourselves and that we don't have to be in control and that God is in fact in charge and it's all okay. So there's some very modern symbolism. Mm-hmm. So Swedenborg, you said, felt called from this very beginning, mm-hmm. uh, among other things, to talk about the meaning of the Bible. Yeah. And that's actually taught as less than literal, mm-hmm. but, but also more than literal. That's a good way to put it. I like that. Um, I, I love, I think, the, the insights he brings to Scripture are so meaningful for me because it, it helps the Bible to stay the sacred text that it is. Hmm. It, when I was in seminary, I was a pretty liberal seminary, and people always knew if they needed a Bible, come to the Swedenborgians, they would have one. And so the Bible is this incredibly sacred text that is a means of God's communication with the world, and yet it's not always literal. It has these deep levels of meaning, and I think this allows us to to hold on to its deep sacredness while also realizing that it's going to speak differently to different times and different people. and um, So that maybe means not getting hung up on how many animals were on the ark. Or exactly. Whatever, whatever exactly. the Exactly, the time phrase of creation. or And one of the ways I like to say it is that what Swedenborg brought out is how the Bible is descriptive of the spiritual journey of 
how God moves in each one of us, it's not proscriptive. It's not a lesson book of specific things that we can look to to kind of decide whether people's behavior is right or wrong. It's descriptive of this incredible journey that we're all on of growth, development, upheaval, being enslaved, being freed, all for the purpose of of entering God's heaven and of, in the, the biblical language, coming into the holy city that we find mm. in the book of Revelation. And that's why many of our churches are called Church of the New Jerusalem, Church of the Holy City, because we really lift up that image as an image of heaven on earth, of completion. That we're yeah, that's the for. city that comes down. Yes. And we is, can the, be a is, part of is that also something that comes down into us into us as well exactly the what swedenborg said is that the bible has three levels of meaning one describes the development of the lord one describes the development of kind of a people of of all community and then one is a very personal story the garden of eden and the holy city are kind of bookends to that Mm. journey of going from a place of total love and connection to god but from a place of total innocence and kind of ignorance, no wisdom, to a place of love and connection and wisdom, but then still with innocence. That's the th- one of mm. the pieces he speaks about a lot. In- innocence of ignorance is, is what we're born into, and then we want to come into innocence with wisdom as we develop. That's kind of the goal. So as a Christian denomination, yeah. you see Jesus Christ as a human manifestation of the divine. We do. And when I, I use the term the Lord, that's often how Swedenborg speaks of Jesus. Mm. But um, in our understanding, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God on earth. And even in a kind of a bigger sense where heaven is also understood as in the shape of a human being, which we would call the Lord. We are within, we are within the Lord. So Jesus and God are very interchangeable in our tradition. And his message and his life and ministry was really seeking to bring about the same truth Swedenborg was. And I think Swedenborg saw his call from God to to just clear things up. Mm. <laughs> that Jesus had told us everything we needed to hear, but that had become perverted over years um, through different practices of the church. So I don't see us as Swedenborg as bringing out anything different than what Jesus already shared in his walk on earth. I think Swedenborg just helps to clarify and he, he mm. wants to bring out bring us back to the to the teaching of Christ and also expand it even further. He saw the the inner sense as as kind of a new revelation that people needed if they were going to continue to hold to the biblical story in a, in a world that was changing, you know, it was just the enlightenment in the scientific era. Are there particular teachings of Jesus that maybe right now yeah. is a favorite parable or story or something that's a touchstone for you? Hmm. I think in general, it's the declaration that the kingdom of heaven is here, that it's within you, that it's here, it's right, you know, turn your head quick enough and the kingdom of heaven will be here. (laughs) Um, You know, Jesus is constantly proclaiming this, and this is what I want to constantly proclaim. I think this is what Swedenborg was proclaiming by telling by sharing with the world, hey, there is a spiritual world. It's real. It's it's communicating with us through the Bible, through through nature's correspondences. Um, to me, that's still really important news that we are constantly forgetting, mm. um, constantly <laughs> forgetting to be in awe of everything, of 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 everything around us. And so, I think Jesus's 
the way in the way in which he declared this reality and sought to kind of wake people up to this reality, I think I'm still trying to wake people up to it. I think Swedenborg was trying to. I think many leaders, you know, we need church and we need to keep being woken up because it's so easy to fall asleep. What, what is that like for you as just as a person in general, sure. but also specifically as a pastor to have yeah. people coming to a service? Yeah back when we did that right (laughs) or now people tuning in to Mm -hmm. a service Mm -hmm. and you can tell me if you feel comfortable doing this or not sure sure do you have an example of of being able to wake someone up a little Mm -hmm. bit or help Mm -hmm. them help them on their own journey yeah yeah you know i think i think it's part of why we do need worship each week is even within the week we can fall asleep you know and i i find myself often preaching from my own experience and on, you know I'm not awake all the time <laughs> I fall I fall asleep to the to the awe of it I get caught up in the cell phone bills and the, the yeah. you know the the rigmarole of life and forget its holiness so I hope that my honesty with my own struggles is helps people to identify and to be I think we have to just all be humble in the fact that we're not yet with the Lord every minute. Mm. And that it is one of the foundations of our church that the spiritual growth is a process. It doesn't happen in an instant when we accept the Lord, that it is a, a journey. And so I like to be with my congregation and with people on the journey, you know, and on the journey of forgetting and remembering. And I, I think people, I mean, I, I don't always know the impact I have on people. I certainly sometimes they're kind enough to share it with me and and share that a certain message or certain teaching had meaning for them. But I'm not the savior of the world and I'm I'm not. So I definitely see all of the change that happens in this community and in individuals as God's work. And I I think if the more honest I can be with myself, with other people, the more God can work, you know, and I is that what brings you joy about your faith? I think, I think so. I love I love that our tradition focuses on authenticity, that there's no there's no points being earned for showing up. It's one of the reasons I wonder sometimes why we've always been a small church, though. Um, we've never had we've never been huge. But Swedenborg himself, you know, he didn't attend church regularly, and he declares in his writings that worship is life and life is worship that worship isn't just about an hour on sunday it's Mm. about the way we live so i love that part i love the um the fact that people come because they want to not because of any desire for external reward and i love that i can be myself i worried about that you know when i put on the robe and will i be somebody else but um i think that there's a lot of respect for each person's individuality and uniqueness and a lot of understanding that we are all flawed, that there's no, I'm not somehow higher or closer to God because I'm standing up here. And in that way, we we figure it out together. You know, we learn together, we grow together, we forget together, we remember together. (laughs) And it's exciting to me because I... I have been excited on my own journey and much of my own journey was by myself. So I really am... I'm happy to be here, and I'm hopeful that um, my presence here helps more people to not be alone on the journey, um, because that can be sometimes the scariest place. What should I ask you that I don't know to ask you? Hmm, what should I ask me? 
By the way, I'm so happy with this conversation. I, I love what I'm learning. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it, and I, I'm glad that I'm forming sentences because, again, <laughs> with these last six months have just been so brutal yeah. with family care. My husband is an Episcopal priest, so we're both ministers and caring for children, and uh, it's a lot. And yet, God is in this too, right? <laughs> And I have to say that you squeezed this in after taking your, one of your children to a dental. To the, to the dentist, exactly. <laughs> but um, God is in this too. God's been in this time. And I, um, I guess I won't even make you ask it. I'll just share that one of the other tenets of our faith that I think really moves me and gives me comfort is in believing that the holy city is coming to be, you know, and believing that the Lord is, the holy city is descending, that the Lord is helping us to, to welcome in heaven into our own lives and into our world, it gives me a lot of comfort in these crazy times. Because one of the things Swedenborg talks about is how for heaven to come to be, evil has to come to the surface. That we have to, if we're going to be reformed and change, we have to first see our sins, see, mm. see what's wrong before they can be purged. And I think I see that happening in our world. And sometimes it feels like the world is getting to be a worse place, but I think the reality is we're just we're looking more deeply. We're seeing we're seeing our faults, we're seeing our sins, and so we can say no to them and we can we can move beyond. So I I still do believe the world is becoming a better place, even though with the climate and with race relations and our politics, so much is frightening right now. The coronavirus, but I still believe that human beings are able to be more genuine in the world today, they have more freedom in spiritual matters, that there's that we are vetting out kind of old prejudices that 100 years ago we would have just taken for granted. And maybe we would dare finally not be in denial about some of those things if we have a trust in God to walk us through. Yes, exactly. Well, exactly. And I think some of the way that even repentance and reformation have been kind of perverted is we see we've done wrong and then we just want to beat ourselves up and you know whip ourselves and <laughs> self-flagellate and just what wasted energy that can be i think part of having faith and trust in god is being able to see where we've done wrong and really make amends without just going into a corner and becoming a plop of jello you know that and i find that so useful in my marriage in my you know in my life i'm not perfect at it i still like to feel bad about myself but i think having faith allows and and the the central role of forgiveness in our faith allows us to be more honest and i think we definitely see that with race relations right now that i'm not a racist we don't want to own our own participation in the heritage of racism even unconscious even unconscious because it's so we feel so shameful but the reality is it's okay we you know we can have done wrong and we can acknowledge it and we can be forgiven and we can do better and that is amazing how hard it is to learn that lesson <laughs> um but i i think uh, our faith definitely supports my journey in that work and yeah, it's, I just the Swedenborgian tradition. It's quirky, it's small, but um, I think Swedenborg just had a lot of amazing things to share. And he brought he brings the world to life for me. You know, there's not only the inner meaning of the Bible, 
But the language that that inner meaning is spoken in is this language of correspondences, which he writes about. And that language is in all of nature, too. So that walk down the, the road in the evening in Urbana with the beautiful trees, God was speaking through the natural world to me in that moment and, and all over the world to just believe in the sacredness and the holiness of each moment and each place and each person that you meet and each I can't imagine living any other way now. So that's why I'm, that's why I've signed up and I'm <laughs> totally sold on this tradition and its, um, its teachings and, and just want to want to help wake more people up. It's been delightful to speak with you. I wish we had another hour. Sure, sure. Pastor and director of the Swedenborg Chapel. Mm -hmm. The website is swedenborgchapel.org. That's correct. People want to look up pictures, read a little about it. I'm excited to do further reading in Swedenborg's writings. Reverend Sage Cole, thank you for speaking with me today in good faith. You're welcome. So good to talk to you. That's our time for today. Thanks to Reverend Sage Cole for generously sharing her stories and her faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Email us at ingoodfaith at byu.edu. And if you enjoy the show, be sure and leave a comment or review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and help spread the word. All of our episodes are online at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith. Our Twitter feed is at ingoodfaithbyu. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join me again soon, right here, In Good Faith.